Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast and today we have episode 17. And episode 17 today is going to be an extremely important one and one where I throw the structure right out of the window. And the reason being is because we're looking at one of the most important and probably most overlooked aspects of your health and wellness, and that is sleep. We all know we should be sleeping, and we all understand the importance of it. But most of us, and including myself at times, I'll be honest, don't take it as seriously as we probably should. Right? Sleep is responsible for an abundance of things, and most of us know that we need to ensure that we're getting seven to nine hours per night. So usually the structure of this podcast goes fitness, nutrition, mindset, but sleep is going to impact all of those facets, which is why today I'm going to go through the top five ways to improve your sleep, but we're going to get started with why it is so important. And I won't spend too much time on this, but I do want to bring you some like alarming things that you might have not heard before. So we'll go essentially firstly, what short and long-term sleep deprivation uh, can lead to, right? And we're looking at memory issues, trouble thinking and concentrating, weakened immunity, higher blood pressure, accidents and clumsiness, lower sex drive, mood changes, detrimental impact on mental health, and among many more. And for most of us who are listening to this podcast, and just in general, uh, most of us are trying to lose some form of body weight or body fat, body weight and body fat, I should say. And I brought up a few studies just to bring some weight to my words today as well. So population studies consistently link short sleep duration and excess weight generally starting with seven hours being at the point where weight gain starts. Sleeping five to six hours was associated with a more than 50% increased risk of weight gain. The more sleep deprivation, the more weight gained. So that's the first thing to note here. So even if you feel great and you're feeling okay on less than seven hours sleep, if you are trying to drop body weight and body fat, 
then it is going to be incredibly important that you are still getting those hours no matter how you're feeling on those. Here's another one. More importantly, insufficient sleep can ultimately affect life expectancy and day-to-day well-being. An analysis of data from three separate studies suggests that sleeping five or fewer hours per night may increase mortality risk by as much as 15%, right? Let's forget weight loss for a second. This is actually your quality of life and how long you're going to spend on this earth. This is kind of a big deal. So I hope that we're seeing the point now. It's linked to so many things. And let's look at the flip side of this. Yes, you know, we've just heard all the detrimental impacts, but just imagine how powerful we can be, you know, in our day to day and how great we can feel if we are getting good quality sleep and we're getting enough of that good quality sleep. So now we've been reminded of the incredible importance of sleep. I want to go through my top five ways of improving your sleep. And I'm going to go into this in some detail as well. So we'll get started. And these are in no particular order. They are all extremely important, but this one is incredibly, incredibly important. So first one here is have a consistent sleep and wake time. Let's actually bring this back. A lot of us have experienced jet lag, right? Or a lot of us have experienced going out on the weekends and not just from a social element, but just staying up until like 2 a.m. in the morning. And even though they're getting eight hours, right? So let's actually take this example. From Monday to Friday, you sleep from like 10 p.m. till 5 a.m. And you get around seven hours sleep and you don't feel, you feel okay, not too bad. And let's say you go to bed at like 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. on the weekend, but you wake up at like 9, 10, so you actually get more hours. Yet, funnily enough, you tend to feel worse. Same with jet lag as well. You tend to feel worse, even if you are getting more sleep. And our bodies, they work on daily rhythms. And they also get familiar with our behavior patterns as well. So if from Monday to Wednesday, you're sleeping at 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. And then on Thursday, you decide to pull a late nighter and you just get those six hours and you slept at midnight. And then on Saturday, you do that thing where you, you know, you go to bed super late and you get up super late. Your body is going to have a very, very difficult job of understanding when it's supposed to be sleeping and when it's supposed to be awake. And this is super important because as we sleep or as we get ready to sleep, our bodies produce hormones, they produce neurotransmitters, and they do this at different times of days, not only when we go to sleep, but when we're beginning to wake up as well. And this is to match our circadian rhythm, our sleep and wake cycle. So things such as melatonin, cortisol, human growth hormone, all these super important things that impact our sleep and wake cycle. And without the consistency of that sleep and wake cycle, your body's going to either start to produce these at the wrong time or even downregulate the production and release of these. And if we take a hormone like cortisol, for example, cortisol is often known as the stress hormone. It's far more complex than just being called the stress hormone. But just for a example here, and to keep things simple, we're supposed to have a spike in cortisol early in the day, right? It's going to perk us up. It's going to make us nice and alert. And then it kind of tapers off as the day goes down. And then obviously melatonin begins to get produced. And then that kind of gets us into the mode of sleeping, right? So when people push the boundaries of staying up late, looking at screens in the evening, you know, and going out, being highly stimulated in the latter hours of the day, cortisol gets produced in the evening because if we're trying to feel alert and awake. 
versus well, you know how we should actually feel in the evening which is like wound you know winding down and you know primed and in a restful and sleepy state so when we get into bed finally we can lie there and we feel wired can't sleep and i'm sure all of us have experienced that at some point or another and then we get up in the morning when cortisol should be higher but because it's been spiking in these latter hours of the well these early hours in the morning latter hours of the night it's not being produced in the morning as it should be. And we have to drag ourselves out of bed. We have to drag ourselves through our meetings in the morning. We drink coffee to perk us back up. We throw water over our face, right? Because of our lives don't stop. It doesn't matter whether, you know, you might push the envelope of staying up late and working hard, but you've still got those meetings in the morning you might have to get up for, right? And your body is going to have no sense of when to produce these hormones, when to produce these neurotransmitters. It's that there's no consistency in when you're sleeping and waking. So to ensure that these bodily processes are functioning optimally, we have to sleep at consistent times. And if possible, this includes like when you have weeks off work and you have holidays and you have weekends as well. Definitely for me, I don't always do this, but I would try to keep it close or there or thereabouts. For me, I get up at 5.15 on weekdays and then on weekends, I kind of try to make it around 6.30. So it's within an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. It's not like 5.15 to waking up at 10 a.m. Otherwise, I would feel probably very much like I was having jet lag. So try and keep it very similar or there or thereabouts. And I appreciate there will be some nights where it's just not possible, but the key is just to get back into routine as soon as you can, just so your body knows you know, what to do and whether it's coming or going or not. So that's number one. Number two is to implement a wind down routine. So the tough aspect for us in you know, the 21st century is the fact that in the evening, it's quite a sociable time. You know, it might be the only time of the day we get to ourselves or we get to spend with our partners. And quite often we want to extend it, right? So we go out, we spend time on social media, we watch Netflix. And all of these activities are fantastic, but they're all incredibly stimulating. But, you know, they're potentially our only time to do it because we're working during the day. We've got obligations during the day. But the problem is it will interfere with your body naturally winding down in the evening, right? Once again, producing more cortisol and potentially delaying that release of melatonin and not allowing your nervous system to move into the rest and digest parasympathetic state, which we really want to be in during the evening times so we can rest as effectively as possible. So to help us get into that restful state, which is primed and ready for sleep, an evening routine can be super helpful just to create that transition. So even if you are having, you know, quite a sociable evening, even if you are watching Netflix, etc., I wouldn't make that transition from socializing and then 10 minutes later, you're brushing your teeth and going to bed. Netflix, you turn it off, you roll into the bathroom, brush your teeth and go to bed. We want to create a little bit of buffer time between those things. And I'm a big fan of using the 30 to 60 minutes before bed to start winding down. So a few things you can consider when it comes to creating your wind down routine. Number one, this is the top of the list for me, which is a screen ban right? So if you want to get better sleep, I highly advise removing your exposure to screens at least 30 minutes before you go to bed. That's any MacBooks, that's any phones, that's tablets, that's TVs. I don't want them to be on and I don't want them to be touched, right? 30 minutes. And if you can build that up to like 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 
great. And that would be really helpful. And if it's a real struggle, if you've never done anything like this before, and it is difficult, start with five to 10 minutes and build from there. You know, just a small shift can be really helpful. And if you are someone who has to work late into the evening, you know, it's your only time that you can do this, then I would highly advise using the night shift function on your phone. If you're an iPhone user, it's very easy. You literally say, hey, Siri, turn on night shift. And then all of a sudden, your phone will emit more of a red light, more of an orange light versus that white light that we, or white or blue light, I should say, that is quite potent and stimulant. You can also use a really good software on MacBooks or any computers, I think, called f.lux, which you can just go to justgetflux.com, download software, and then you can set it from set to sunrise. And it will automatically, as the sun sets, it will make sure that your MacBook screen or your computer screen goes into that more red light as well. And what that does, it find, we find that the red lights, they're not as detrimental to our melatonin production as the blue light. And you may see people, including myself, wearing blue light blocking glasses. So that's another good way to do it because of, I don't think there's actually a way to do that on your TV. I haven't discovered it yet. The only way I have found it, just going off on a bit of a side note here, is if you like connect a HDMI to your MacBook that already has this software on it, then you have the, you know, the red light on the TV screen. However, if you don't, then you've got those blue lights. So I would advise potentially investing in some blue light blocking glasses, which are getting a little bit more popular these days, which is fantastic. So those are definitely things you want to use if you are exposed to screens in the evening. Even if you are doing this 30-minute screen ban, I would still implement these as well. They're very crucial to my day-to-day. The next thing, we want to essentially start switching to non-stimulating activities. So having a bath, having a shower. I will go into baths later, so potentially a shower might be better because this can actually help your body find the right temperature to sleep at. And we're going to go into that in just a bit read a book, try fiction or something that doesn't stimulate your mind too much. If you're reading like, I don't know, a Tony Robbins book that's getting you excited and thinking about all these things, it might be challenging to get your mind settled and, you know, get into a restful position. So I would definitely opt for something a little bit more lighter reading and fiction can be really helpful. Meditation, you know, some deep breathing can really, really help, especially when it comes to bringing you into that parasympathetic, that rest and digest nervous system. Deep breathing can be really powerful for bringing you into that state or anything else that you can think about that promotes relaxation. Maybe that is knitting. Maybe that is, you know, just talking, you know, just casually talking with your partner. Just nothing, you know, not talking about bills, not talking about your daily day stresses. Just having a conversation with them can be really super valuable. So that is my few tips I've got for you on creating a evening routine. And if it is a big ask, just start with a bare minimum. Five to 10 minutes is going to be really sufficient and a good place to start. And then just begin working your way up once that becomes a little bit more normal. And you're actually, I think you'll begin to enjoy it as well. It's actually nice to have that time to disconnect just before the day ends. Number three, this one is a big one for me. And it is be mindful of your caffeine consumption. And I know... Elliot, I drink caffeine and it does nothing to me. I can easily drink an espresso after dinner and I can go to sleep straight after. Sorry about that accent. Guess what? I don't care. It doesn't matter. You can't deny what's going on inside inside your body. Caffeine is referred to as a drug 
people it's referred to as a drug and it's the same goes for alcohol right i don't care how much of a heavyweight you are your body and your liver still has to metabolize the alcohol irrespective of whether you felt drunk or tipsy or whatever and the same goes for caffeine you cannot deny the biological responses that take place in the body no matter if you feel it or not and you can hear the passion in my voice here because i get people telling me all the time right so let's get back to caffeine and I have a quote from Matthew Walker, and if you've probably seen his book advertised um, maybe a few years back when it was released, he wrote the book, Why We Sleep. The book is a little bit slow, a little bit boring at times. It has actually a lot of mind-blowing facts in there as well. So he, I've quoted him here. He says, caffeine can actually decrease the amount of deep, non-rapid eye movement sleep that we have. And as a consequence, you can wake up the next morning and not feel refreshed, not feel restored by your sleep even if you are getting those seven, eight, nine or hours of sleep, right? And he specifically mentioned that it impacts our deep sleep. So let's look at what our deep sleep is responsible for. So glucose metabolism in the brain increases during deep sleep, supporting short and long-term memory and overall learning as well. Deep sleep is also when the pituitary gland secretes important hormones like human growth hormone, leading to the growth and development of our bodies. Other benefits of deep sleep include energy restoration, cell regeneration, increasing blood supply to muscles, promoting growth and repair of tissues and bones, very important if you want to build muscle as well, strengthening the immune system. Those are pretty important things. And not getting quality deep sleep is also linked to conditions like Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, diabetes, strokes. So we can definitely see the impact of why that is so important. And now I have another really alarming fact about caffeine. And stay with me here because this one was quite fascinating to me. It was only a recent realization. So most of us have a cutoff point of caffeine, you know, potentially like two to three p.m. or even a little bit earlier, perhaps, because we've heard of the caffeine's half-life. Many of us have heard of this. And if you haven't, it's essentially that the half the amount of caffeine will be in your system five to eight hours. It's very different depending on the person and different people are saying different things, but let's use five to eight hours after consuming it. So for context, a typical cup of coffee might have 200 milligrams of caffeine in it. And that means 100 milligrams is still circulating around in your system that many hours later. I think a lot of us know this by now, but what about caffeine's quarter life? And I have to say, this was actually news to me and something I didn't even consider until very recently. So if caffeine's half-life is around five, six, seven hours long, it's said that caffeine's quarter-life is 10 to 12 hours long. And this blew my mind a little bit. Let's give you a very real example. Imagine you're drinking your coffee at 12 p.m. and then you plan on going to bed at 10 p.m. That is like the equivalent of drinking, you know, imagine there's a, you know, that first quarter of your coffee just as you go to sleep. Mind-blowing, right? That really got me. I was like, whoa, I did not consider that. So we've just got to be mindful, right? If we can keep our caffeine consumption earlier in the day and, you know, it's hard. I appreciate that. And actually, if you're used to drinking plenty of coffee, specifically in the evening, and this is something that's, you know, very, very new to you, try to swap to decaf um, because that can help too. Although the decaffeination process, I think this is worth mentioning, it roughly removes around 97% of the caffeine from the coffee, 
right? Which means there is still some caffeine in decaf, not as much, granted, but it will never remove like 100% of the caffeine, all right? So just bear that in mind. And saying that, I don't actually have any idea what the decaffeination process looks like, but I'm definitely going to research that after this podcast because I'm actually quite interested. But one final note here, if you know anything about me, a day will not go by in my life that I don't have coffee. I love it. But as I said earlier, it's a drug, okay? And that's what we need to be aware of. And it's a very, very powerful drug. And I think uh, when I was reading about this, it's like one of the like largest traded commodity after oil. Don't quote me on that, but we let's understand the point here that caffeine is powerful and it is very, very accessible and very, very easy to over misuse and over consume. So next on that list here is four, which is temperature and light. And temperature is where we're gonna start. And this one's gonna be an easy one for you to refer to here or resonate with at least. When it came around to summer last year, I can't tell you how many of my clients reached out to me on the same week, uh, I think it was sometime in August, and told me about their sleep disruptions and how they just had poor nights of sleep all week because of how the heat was. And there is a study to back this up. I don't even think we need a study here, but they looked at 765,000 survey respondents, which is basically almost a million people. And they found that most of them, the majority experienced abnormal sleeping patterns during the hottest summer months. It's, It's no surprise to any of us. So this is quite an extreme reminder of the impact that temperature has on our sleep. But it's very important to try and regulate that to ensure that we do have a restful night of sleep. And I'm going to give you some context here. Our bodies naturally cool down as we approach bedtime. And this comes back to being in line with our natural circadian rhythm. And the body cools down until we approach waking up again. And then our body temperature starts to rise. And it's kind of when we are like getting up and ready for the day and getting going again. So as a rule of thumb, we tend to sleep better when it's cooler. But we do probably do a lot of things that raise our temperature and even that we may not realize. So this can impact our sleep cycles and, again, ultimately lead to us not being sufficiently rested or recovered and missing out on all the important things that happen during sleep. And based on the reading I did, actually, being too cold actually won't impact your sleep cycle per se, but it might actually impact your ability to get to sleep in the first place or to stay asleep because you might get up because you're too cold. So that's worth noting as well, but definitely better to be on the cooler side than the warmer side. And it's suggested that roughly 18.3 degrees Celsius is the optimal temperature to sleep at. As long as you are somewhere roughly around that number, you should be fine. And maybe you just wanna err on the side of being a bit cooler on that front. So I want you to consider a few things coming back to the things that we do in the evening that potentially might increase our body temperature without us really thinking about it. And the first one here is exercising in the evening. If you're someone who exercises after work, I know that I've been going on my runs in the evening recently. Yes, it's cold outside, but I come back sweating and very, very warm indeed. Next is like the extra heated duvets. I know you guys who are like loving your heated duvets, so be aware of that as well. Sleeping with a partner, or even if you have your dog in bed with you, they produce a lot of heat, so that's worth recognizing as well. Long baths at the end of the day, that's another one to consider. And then obviously heavy pajamas and the clothes that you wear during the evening. So if you've got any of these, you know, factored into your bedtime, your sleeping time, then make sure you make some changes to ensure that you are at the right temperature when you're sleeping and you will have a lot better quality sleep. 
And I want to quickly move on to light, but because we spent a lot of time in temperature, I don't want to go into this in too much detail because we did kind of touch on this with the blue light stuff. Light exposure before or during bedtime can actually make it very, very difficult to fall and stay asleep, mainly because of melatonin, which I mentioned earlier. It starts to get released in the evening time, but actually being exposed to light, specifically blue light, can impact our body's production of melatonin because of our melatonin is produced as we're going to sleep. But if your body is picking up on light, especially blue lights, it's not getting those signals that it's evening time. It might be getting those false signals that it's still time to be awake. It's still daytime, right? So even if you do manage to fall asleep with lights on in your bedroom, once again, it will still affect your sleep. And mainly it might actually be your REM sleep that's affected, which is your rapid eye movement sleep. If you are adamant of having some form of light, and I know people are, they're like, I don't wanna sleep in the pitch black. It's actually said that red lights might not be as impactful. As I mentioned earlier with the, you know, the change into the orange screen, on the flux and the blue light blockers. So maybe just try some, you know, not these brightly lit LEDs, but some red lights could be a good replacement there if you're actually adamant. But if you can get used to sleeping in completely dark rooms, it will be highly beneficial to your sleep. Right, the fifth and final one, I think this one's gonna help a lot of people, which is reducing anxiety in your racing mind during the evening. So I can't tell you how many people I speak with who don't sleep very well due to having, you know, racing thoughts in the evening, um, a lot of anxiety. And to be honest, the irony of this is that I'm recording this podcast specifically on sleep. And there's probably a reason I'm doing it right now. And it's the past two or three nights, I've not had great sleep at all. And this has actually been due to having a racing mind. And even whilst I'm like technically unconscious and asleep, I can still kind of feel my brain is going. Right. So the first thing to note here is that if you do have all of those things I've just mentioned in place, you know, wind down routine, um, amending your temperature and all of those things, it will make it so much easier to fall asleep regardless of your racing thoughts. So I'm not, you know, I've definitely had more screen exposure in the evening than I should do. I've probably not bared in mind the temperature impacts that my running has had in the evening. And that's probably contributing to why, you know, I'm not being able to wind down at the moment as well. And the challenge with the evening time, and which is why we tend to have these thoughts in the evening time, is that we're no longer occupied with our day-to-day -day activities, right? Which gives us room to analyze, ruminate, and kind of get lost in our thought patterns. And if we're not in control of these, and the thought patterns might not even be helpful, it's going to be a challenge. But at the same time, it could just be exciting things going on in your head, right? You might want to work on certain projects. You might have exciting things that are coming up in your life, but then it's still, you know, it's still easy to get carried away with these. And then the lack of control over your thoughts can lead to struggles with winding down. And then even, like I said, when you are unconscious and you're sleeping, you can still feel like your mind is going, and you're not getting that rest that your body needs. So the first step for me will be to reduce anything stimulating, you know, 30, 60 minutes before bed. So during your wind down routine, do your best not to entertain these thoughts and let them run loose, right? Even if they are really, really exciting, try and park them and revisit them maybe on the weekend or allocate some time in the afternoon just to go through these thoughts um, and have a think about them then. The next thing you want, might want to do is use a journal. 
Sometimes these thoughts just need to be physically placed somewhere. Like getting them out of your head and onto a journal can be immensely invaluable. I find this super, super helpful. Also creating a to-do list ahead of the next day can be really helpful if you're worrying about how much stuff you've got on your plate. Creating a to-do list, just knowing that it's there, ready for you to attack in the morning can be super helpful. Next is to try some deep breathing and meditation. Concept of meditation is to focus on your breath, a mantra, a visualization, and then anytime you get lost in your thoughts, the idea is that you gently pull yourself back to the present moment and back to whatever you were focusing on, right? This gives us more control over our thoughts and our mind. Imagine your mind is like a little puppy running around and then you put it on a long lead All of a sudden, you know, if it starts to run off in one direction, you can just give the lead a gentle pull and, you know, the puppy comes right back and it stays in, you know, going in the right direction. It's not going crazy all over the place. That's the same concept of your mind and the, you know, the ability you cultivate during meditation. And the last thing, a big one here that's going to really help is, like I said, some of those things that you're thinking about in the evening, they can be stressful. They can be worries. They can be, you know, just the things that are keeping you up at night because they are concerning. And the best thing you can do here is address them. Take the time to rationalize these things and try and handle the problems that you're having in your mind. And if you can't do this or it like runs a little bit deeper and it's like conditioning over years and years, some form of therapy might help you. You know, some form of pattern interruption might help just to get you back into a place and lead you to calmer evenings that help you sleep. So those are my five top ways to improve your sleep. And I want to give you some final quick sleep hacks. I've given you plenty here, but I want to give you some more, just some quick fire ones uh, so you can get the most out of your time in bed. So a few quick fire ones here. The first one is use blackout blinds. Next, keep your sheets fresh and clean and have comfortable pillows as well. Next, try exercising earlier in the day. That could be really helpful. Limit your TV and evening screen exposure to certain days of the week. I went through a phase where I banned Netflix from Monday to Friday and only watched it on Friday night, Saturday night, and then even stopped doing it on Sunday night because of I knew how much impact it had on me the next day. And next, only use your bed for sleep and the other word that begins with S. If you can't sleep, don't toss and turn. Sit in a lightly lit room, you get out of the bedroom, read, do something relaxing until you feel tired enough to sleep again, right? If we want to create that association that our bed is only there for those things, if we do anything else in it, like work and stuff, then that's going to be a bit of a, you know, a disruption in that thought process and those associations for your brain. Next, try supplementing with magnesium. That can help, but do make sure you cover all of the above first. Finally, switch off your Wi-Fi and any other electrical devices that you're not using in the evening, and that will help you get some better quality sleep. Even if you just implement like one, two, three of these, it'll be a very good place to start. The last thing you want to do is try and (laughs) implement all of them at one go. Reach for the lowest hanging fruit. See which one is going to be quite simple to implement. You know, caffeine might be a good place to go. Evening routine might be a good way to go. Maybe journaling just to get yourself into a little less um, of a kind of mind racing state or just even addressing the temperature and the lighting in your room. Those can be really good places to start. 
and they will really help. So I hope that that was a valuable episode for you. I spent a good 30 minutes speaking about sleep, so I'm sure you see the importance of it and how we've got a lot within our uh, scope to improve this. And it's nothing that we have to do. We don't have to pay. We just have to, you know, we don't have to pay for these things. They're not expensive. They're not that hard to implement. They just require a conscious effort and a little bit of consistency. So that is everything from me today, guys. I have very much enjoyed talking with you as always and look forward to talking with you all on the next episode. Take care and we'll speak very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.